I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This week, I watched The Woman King um, on opening night, and I want to talk about it. But first, you may notice that I sound a little bit different, um, maybe a little echoey. Um, that's because I am operating out of my office at work. Um, so long story short, um, my car is in uh, the shop, and so hubby had to drop me off um, at work. We don't work far from each other. Like, literally, we do not work far from each other at all. Um, and yeah, he gets up really early um, to get to work um, because he has to be at work really early. And as a result, I'm here all by myself in this whole building, this entire building. Like um, my job where I work, we have an office suite in this office building that is kind of like, it's like an old converted warehouse. Um in Baltimore and cause that's what you do. We, we're space poor in Baltimore. So you take up, you, um, you, you know, you convert what you can and, and what did Baltimore have? Baltimore for many, many decades was an industrial city. And, and de- you know, depending on who you talk to, there's still a lot of industry or industrial blue collar work here. Um, I don't know so much in the city these days. A lot of the, the industrial work is out in the counties. Um, but the shipyard is still here. Like that's the big time industrial, I think, in construction and things like that. But anyway, um, and so this is in a converted warehouse. And so as a result, the ceilings are really high. Um, and so every every place here is echoey. My, my office is echoey. Um, so I'm trying to have the, the phone close to my mouth so it doesn't sound so echoey. Anyway, so um, so yeah, I'm here early. It was supposed to be, I came in, I actually also really, because I, I work from home. I can work from home. Um, and so I also came in here um, because I, there was an appointment. I had a morning appointment that I was supposed to be at. Come to find out, um, I already get here and, you know, it's canceled, which I'm glad it's canceled. I don't like my time wasted, but like I've gone through this whole trouble of getting up and all of that stuff. So whatever, I'm going to make the most of it by recording my show. Um, anyway, and actually there's a breakfast spot that's right up the street from my job. So I'll take advantage of that too. But anyway, so we're going to make the best high quality lemonade out of these lemons. Anyhow, but um, yeah, so other than my car, <laughs> I... the. This is my fault. This is my fault. My my hubby took my car to get serviced back in June. Um, I think an oil change. And um, I was hearing this noise um, when I shifted at a certain speed. Um, and I wanted him to check on it while I was getting my oil changed. And um, the mechanic came back and was like, yeah, the reason why there's this noise that's happening is because there's a part in your car that's beginning, that your, your vehicle that's beginning to fail. Um, and you better get it done sooner rather than later, because if it totally fails, it's going to be more expensive. You know how it goes with car, with vehicles. Um, and so anyway, um, 
Yeah, I didn't get it done. I kept putting it off on her because I don't drive a lot. I don't, these days, I don't drive a lot. I don't, I live 10 minutes, 15 in traffic from um, my job. And most everything that I do is virtual these days. Even if it's not virtual, I could walk to it or, yeah, I could walk to it, get on the train to it, like the light rail. Like, or if I'm driving, I'm literally driving four miles like that's it like nowhere these in the past two years it is a rare thing for me on a daily basis to drive more than 20 minutes away from my home and that 20 minutes is mostly in traffic I don't I don't often leave Baltimore I live in downtown Baltimore there's really no reason for me to leave unless when I do leave where I wherever I'm going is back in the northeast where I used to live and that as the crow flies that's like 20 minutes in traffic. So, well, no, as the crow flies, it's like 10 minutes, but 20 in traffic, um, 15 on an average day. And so anyway, I don't really drive my car like that. And so to, to put a lot of money down on a car or like an expense on a vehicle, um, just, I, I figured there were better, <laughs> better ways to spend my money, like going on trips, um, and buying bags and stuff. And, <laughs> and as a result, because I put it off, that that piece failed, and so now I can't little drive my I can't drive my um, my Tonka truck. Um, <laughs> it does look like a Tonka. I drive a Jeep. Um, anyway, uh, I I can't even tool that around. It's not even super old. It's just you know that part failed, and so anyway, so it's over there by the mechanics now. And thank God for um, insurance and and towing. At least I knew exactly where to tow it to because it was the same mechanic that um, hubby has been taking both our vehicles to for two three years at this point. Anyhow, so um, so that happened. But the same day that that happened, um, I started a fellowship program, which I could talk for hours about this particular fellowship program. But I will just say that it is a type of fellowship program that combines my passion for serving the community with my desire and thirst to learn more about my um, spiritual practice as a means to be just be more in tuned and spiritually aware. Um, yeah. Um, so the, the program that I'm in, and it's a 10 month long thing. It began um, on this past Monday and it will end in June. Um, and it has I currently have some like in the in the in the program, there are some people who are kind of local famous around here that are in it. But like it's it and and there are some people who are some really heavy hitting movers and shakers in terms of community organizers. And well, I say community organizers, but just community leaders um, who are in the, the, the fellowship. And I love the opportunity to engage with them for two reasons. Number one, um, it, the bulk of what I do is finding the best and most efficient ways to share the resource that I have access to to other people that absolutely need it, to share that resource with other people who need it. And what that ends up looking like is making sure that if I'm going into a Latinx community where English is the second language, that I make sure that the programming that I'm, that the people that I'm sharing with the community is in a language that they understand and that the people who are delivering the program are pretty well versed, if not native to that language. Um, that's their mother tongue. 
And then also, um, it's just lived experience, cultural differences, like making sure that I'm using volunteers who come from that culture because it applies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so anyway, so I, what I do re- requires me to reach every single person that, it, that, that needs it. And every single person looks like the melting pot. Um, and so I'm talking about uh, uh, gender expression, uh, sexual orientation in many ways, because that does matter. Um, um, cultural uh, community that you identify with, cultural identity. Um, age is a, a factor. Oh my goodness, age is a factor as well. The ages, speaking to the ages in the way that makes sense. Um, Because let's be real, what truly does a 20-year-old have in common with a 40-year-old? Not much. Not much. Um, Heck of a difference. What does a 40-year-old have in common with a 60-year-old? Again, not a ton. The the 60-year-old can speak to the lived experiences um, that the 40-year-old is going going through, but the 40-year-old can't provide tons of commentary for the 60-year-old, and so on and so forth. And so, um, so these connections that I will make and am making are important to the work that I do. I am at my core, a community organizer and everything that I do really lends itself to being as efficient as possible at, to create opportunities to connect people with what I have. Um, the other piece of it is it's fulfilling a need for me to continue growing spiritually And one of the ways that I choose to do this, and I've done it since probably my junior year of college, when I began my pursuit of religious studies, but I just, I couldn't finish it. I wanted to get out of school and I just didn't have the time um, because I was studying tons of other things like African-American culture, Native American culture, communication studies, um, still in sociology. Like I was doing a ton of other things, not to mention I was mentoring in college too. so I was, I was doing too much. I was doing a lot of things. And so I just did not have the time, nor did I have the, the bandwidth to finish, truly give the, the attention that I, it deserved. Uh, the, the, I could have minored. I should have minored in religious studies. I just didn't have the time. And so now through this fellowship, because of the, how unique it is, again, I said, it helps me to combine my love for, my passion for community service work, community work, with religious pursuit and study and knowledge and growth. And everybody in the room either identifies as a religious scholar or works in the community with other religious scholars, um, religious people, um, leaders and things like that. And oh my gosh, I'm going to be able to really dig in in a way that kind of helps me to pick up where I left off. Um, in my religion, in many ways, helps me to pick up where I left off in my religious studies. Um, in this context, though, I'm going to learn a heck of a lot about the Abraham religions um, because of the nature of the fellowship. Um, in religious studies, it was literally talking about all aspects of religious pursuit um, and 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 religious life. This one will delve deeply into the Abraham religions. If you are not familiar, the Abraham, Abrahamic religions um, are Judaism, um, Islam, and Christianity. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited. The glimpse that I got, the glimpse that I got 
um, this week already is sending me. So I'm excited. Um, anyway, so um, like I said, it's a, I can't remember if I said it or not, but it's a 10 month intensive uh, or a 10 month fellowship began this month. It'll end in June of next year. And I hope to be, I know I will be a changed person by the end of that uh, with more knowledge. And if nothing else, the connections that I will make will help me to continue not only be effective in my, my work, but to continue to explore in the way that will quench my thirst or at the very least, you know, curb my appetite. Um, not curb my appetite because I don't want to be full. I want to continue to grow spiritually. And, and I hope that this will help me continue to grow um, spiritually. But anyway, that's enough of that. Um, so, I, I, so I watched The Woman King and then I began, and, and, and I have so many thoughts about the movie itself, but I want to take a moment before I get into talking about the film to engage with the conversation that's happening on, on social media, which is really important. Um, what you should know about The Woman King, Viola Davis's latest film offering for the African experience in the, the, yeah, the African experience, because certainly this, this story depicted in this film, the backdrop of it spans centuries, also spans continents, also has impacted millions of people. Millions of people are touched by this in the African diaspora specifically. Also, the uncomfortable truth that if I can trace my ancestors back to the to the um, to the ships where they were captured, people of European descent um, can trace their ancestors back. <laughs> Somebody is related to a slaver. Many of you are related to a slaver. So if I can if I can trace my history back to an enslaved individual or people, you can tra- trace your uh, you if you are um, your background is of European descent. You can trace your background, your lineage to the slavers, people who enslaved people. And so a whole lot of people are impacted by this story. This is this is this, this is telling the story. This is a piece of a story that spans generations. Um, and so in this conversation, two things were happening. And I just got a reminder why I tend to stay off Twitter. There's a conversation that says boy. I don't know if you've ever seen this this hashtag, but it's, uh, there was a hashtag boycott um, the Woman King. Um, and my side of Twitter, um, again, just sometimes it's hard for me to stay on Twitter because sometimes it feels so reactionary and, and, and lacking of thoughtful discourse and dialogue. It's odd. It's very, it's very much knee jerk reaction, visceral reactions. Everything is black and white. There is no gray. Um, but at the same time, expecting there to be gray, it's very wild to me, very confusing at times. And so TikTok, it just, I can live there a little longer. I can navigate away from the, the unclear, um, and the, the hardcore rhetoric, rhetoric. I can, I can veer away from that a little bit easier. And anyway, but one of the, com- the, the but a, a line of thought was boycott the woman king because the Dahomey for which this, um, 
this this group of warrior women hail that that's their lineage that's their people the dahomey were slavers the dahomey not only did they enslave those that they captured their captured enemies but they literally just enslaved anyone that wasn't them to save their own necks and so that was a line of thought. Another line of thought was, oh, it's another Hollywood sort of thing. And even though a black woman is featured, even though this is a predominantly black cast, oh, Hollywood's going to get their hands on it and let's not watch it anyway. I'm not of that mindset that you don't watch a thing because of who's producing it. I'm of the mindset that what is the trailer talking about? How are the actors talking about it? Give me a synopsis of what I might find. I don't need you to tell me the story, but I need you to give me as much detail as much detail as possible to not ruin the story for me but then let me know what I'm about to get into and so but there there's a school of thought and it happens every single time there is and it's hypercritical of of things things that are a part of the diaspora things that involve the diaspora because largely because we're protective and I understand where it's coming from. I understand where it's coming from where you don't wanna just swallow what's being the food that's on your plate. You don't wanna just eat what's on your plate. You wanna examine what's on your plate. Just decide for yourself if that's something you wanna ingest. And I understand that about media, but I just, it gets, it gets a little draining and daunting when every single thing is scrutinized to the nth degree. And, and I just didn't buy that Viola Davis would put her name on something that, that was not I have not seen her to be a person that would engage in a project that was specific as this, that wasn't also empowering in a way that made sense. But which, does she get it right all the time? Absolutely not. Nobody ever does. But I, I, I would hard pressed. Well, I, I, it's hard. It would be hard for me to believe that she would sign her name on the dotted line on something, pursue something that was not at least empowering and truthful to a point. And so I went and I watched it because there was something about that trailer that just, it gave me, it gave me um, Black Panther. It gave me Black Panther. I wanted to, my daddy used to call me uh, Amazon all the time. The women on my dad's side of the family are strong women. I slowed that down, that emphasis. That's not to say that on my mother's side of the family, they're not equally as strong women. What I'm saying is, I think... I know more about their history. I know a little bit more about their history. Well, no, I'm not even going to say that. I'm just saying that the, the the women on my dad's side of the family struck me as hardcore because my daddy is hardcore, and there's men there. The men in that family are hardcore, but the women run the show. And in terms of the matriarch of the family that my daddy talks about, ain't he? Aunt T was the bedrock. She was tall. She was dark skinned. She didn't take no stuff off nobody. You couldn't fool her. You couldn't clown her. She was a tough woman. And the way that my daddy talks about her, he revered her more than anything. And when he was at his lowest point as a child, and I've shared aspects of his story in Out of Africa, Monroe, Louisiana, I think I, if I remember correctly, I share parts of his story, so I'll just leave you to listen to that, but I won't go into those details. But the way that my daddy talks about Auntie and the women 
in his life, the women were the constant. The men weren't always the constant. The, women, the men couldn't always be relied on, which is not a commentary outside of anything other than in the family dynamics that he grew up in. Number one, he grew up in a communal living arrangement where the, the family raised him. Um, aunts raised, there, there were designated people in the family. They kind of created something like a little tribe of their own. And they were raised in a community and Aunt T was the leader of the pack. She was the leader that everyone kind of deferred to. Um, yeah. So anyway, and he used to call me, he used to, I remember him talking about her and because she was so tall, my dad's six, six. So I don't remember, I should ask him if he, if, if Aunt T was as tall as him or taller. Um, the people in, on my daddy's side of the family just are tall. Um, and anyway, the way he described her was like an Amazon. And the way he used to talk about me was a little Amazon because I <clears throat> have been very opinionated since I was a baby, since I could form words and think thoughts and interrogate the world. I have been pretty opinionated ever since then. Um, and so daddy, daddy and mama used to call me a little Amazon and I never understood where that came from. Exactly. I saw TV shows about it that, that included Amazons, but they were white women with tans. And I really didn't understand. I thought people in the, I literally, I was thinking literal, like, are you, are you meaning people in the Amazon jungle? And I thought those people were short. I don't understand. I was too literal. I needed more. I needed more knowledge. And so growing older, I understood that to me, not tall in stature, because I certainly peaked at 5'5". Five five. <laughs> um, depending on the day, I say I'm 5'6", but let's be for real, I'm 5'5 five five and a half. Anyway, um, so I, as I grew up, I understood that it had less to do with my height and, and my, my strength and it had everything to do with my mental fortitude and my personality. <laughs> and so anyway, um, and so, yeah, I've kind of always been fascinated with, I think one of the reasons why I was drawn to color purple was because I thought I saw that was the first movie that I remember recognizing women who were of different shades of black women who were of different shades coming close to what I thought Aunt T might be like. Aunt T, the way that my daddy describes, describes Aunt T was Oprah's, uh, Oprah Winfrey's character. Um, strong, you not finna run over me. You not finna do, you not finna speak to me any old kind of way. You're not finna do any old thing to me. I don't know that she would ever, well, she never did take it as far as, as Oprah's character did. Harpo, no, Harpo was the dude. I can't remember Oprah's character in, in The Color Purple, but her character. Um, I, I, I don't remember Auntie's occupation. I don't remember daddy telling me that, but there's a lot of similarities. I did. I remember distinctly watching The Color Purple and thinking, hmm, I wonder if, was it Miss Sophia? I don't remember. Um, if Oprah's character was like A.T. Was, if A.T. was like that. Anyway, so outside of that, like, yeah, I can't think of a single movie growing up in the 90s or in the 2000s where I saw a strong, a strong black woman character unapologetically, not smiling, not a face full of makeup, 
muscly, just getting the job done. I don't remember seeing that before. And so I was automatically struck by this film, by seeing Viola Davis not looking pretty, looking like I'm finna fight you and I'm a win. So what you finna do? You either gonna lay down or get laid down. Get down or get, or what is it? Lay down or get laid down, whatever. Anyway. Um, and so I was like, there's just nothing. There's not too much that's gonna happen on this earth that will prevent me from watching this film. And I did, and I'm glad that I did. But I do have to mention that there is a conversation, there's another piece of this conversation that I appreciate that we, what we know is that different leaders in different com- over different kingdoms and communities engaged in slave trading, human capital trading at different times. Um, and the Dahomey had leaders who chose to sell their enemies to slavers. And so the Dahomey for whom the um, Viola Davis's character's tribe represents, that, that's, who she, that's who her people, this um, movie is representing, the Dahomey warrior women. You cannot ignore the fact, and the movie doesn't, but you cannot ignore the fact that, the, the, but the movie hints at it, but the real story is, and you can Google this, this is real. This, these, this has been documented well before. This movie even was it conceived, I imagine that the Dahomey were a huge factor for the reason why many of our, and by our, I mean, if you are a um, black American of African descent, well, if you, <laughs> that was dumb. If you are, if you can, tr- if you can trace your lineage to the United States, actually, no, I'm saying the United States, my bad. North America, South America, the Caribbean. If you identify as being of African descent, Nine times out of 10, your people, your ancestors came here enslaved and the Dahomey might've been part of that reason why they're here, why they came to the Caribbean, to the, um, what is now the United States, to South America. The Dahomey may have had a role in your ancestor getting getting where, where your people live now, where you, you and your, and when I'm saying your people, I literally mean your lineage, uh, the lineage that you're a part of. They had, they, it's possible that they had a hand in it because they were one of the largest, or they, they exported the most, they sold the most, or a large, among the most. Um, again, the movie acknowledges this, but doesn't go into deep detail except to show Viola Davis's character and even the king's opposition to engaging with the slave traders. Um, and so I'll leave that there. I'll talk about the movie in a minute, but I really just wanted to pull that out that the Dahomey, that there, that if you did not, if you did not know, it is important to recognize that African uh, it tribes um, took part in the slave trade, but that should never trump, ever, ever, ever outweigh foreign invaders, European of European descent, um, 
mostly European descent. There is a there is a school of thought that says that there are um, folks from the Ottoman Empire. I don't know if it was the Ottoman Empire. I feel like that was the most dominant at the time, but uh, folks from the Ottoman Empire also enslaved our ancestors as well. Many of our ancestors too. There's a conversation about all of that. It wasn't just uh, European um, Europeans who enslaved African. Um, our, our ancestors, and again, I'm talking to black people, I'm talking to the black African diaspora only. It is not as straightforward. It's not as, yeah, it's not as straightforward as we sometimes hear about it. And, and to be honest with you, many of us have only heard about the um, experience of slavery from the perspective of our ancestors who were already here. We know that Roots talked about the journey and we know Roots, now remember, even Roots said, Roots reminded us that um, what happened wasn't Kunta Kinte was um, captured by his enemy, wasn't he? And his enemy sold him to an enemy tribe and his enemy was sold to um, the slavers. And even wasn't there a part, it was, um, I can't remember, my books are going, are, are blurring together, but definitely there was a mention of that in Alex Haley's Roots. Um, there are several mentions of it, but yeah, do yourself a favor, spend some time learning about the Dahomey. There was a, there's a clip that is circulating now on TikTok where it is a, um, chief, uh, who is on behalf of all the Dahomey apologizing to African descendants who are in the Caribbean, the United States and South America for participating in slavery and sending their ancestors. Um, yeah, enslaving their ancestors. It is a powerful apology. It's a it's powerful. If I can think of the link, I will add it. I will I will add it, but it's pow- it's pretty powerful. Because all of this matters in this conversation. That's why I don't like the black and white visceral knee-jerk reaction that you often get from Twitter because it, it lacks nuance. It lacks, it lacks an intelligent discussion. You're not even engaging with the, con- the content. You're literally just yelling into, you're just yelling your point of view and that's it. You're not listening, you're not engaging. And I understand that there's a, I understand that there's a school of thought that says my peace matters more to me than anything and anything that's disrupting my peace is has no place near me and in my spirit and so I understand that but we got to talk because you're not always right and neither am I you're not always wrong and neither am I we've got to talk we've got to be more intelligent than that engage in conversation more intelligently than that and so we can celebrate we can celebrate this movie and the story that it's depicting while also recognizing that there's a little bit of this that has is rose-colored glasses. We do agree that there were different, it's just like a presidency. Each administration approaches things a little bit differently. The Republic is the main focus, but how to govern the Republic changes from administration to administration. And so too is the same principle when you're engaging, uh, when you're thinking of chiefs, and anyone who's a leader over a jurisdiction or a group of people, they approach ruling those people and, and protecting those people differently. 
And so, yeah, so I would just invite you to engage with that conversation, but then also recognize that you can still acknowledge the atrocities that the Dahomey took part of while also recognizing that you, you, it, it's generational from generation to generation, leader to leader. You can't just say all the Dahomey were bad. We're bad. What you can say like that chief did was that my people engaged in this and we got to look this in the face. We got to, we've got to be honest about this and we've got to make amends and yeah. And so anyway, I just, I really wanted to say that because it did, it, nothing should stop you from seeing this film. There's so much beauty in it. There are also parts where I was just like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like I could do without this piece and I'll tell you exactly what I mean. But anyway, I just, I had to get that off my chest because it's important um, because this is stopping in many ways people from engaging with the, um, the art in a meaningful way. And, and I, I got, I need you to get, I need you to get that out of your system so that you can at least engage with the media. Cause if you, if you, this is the thing that bothers me. You don't want to see this, but you'll watch, uh, I'm sorry, darling, or don't worry, darling, which is riddled with problems behind the camera and in front of it. You'll watch that for shock value and, and for the, it, you know, to, You'll hate watch that, but you won't give give this film a chance, which is telling a story of power, of African diaspora power on both sides, good and bad power. Um, anyway, just come on, do do this, do this one thing, do it, do it. Anyway, um, all right, so I think I've talked enough. I kind of let it in there enough. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to try very hard not to spoil a ton, although I've, no, no, I haven't spoiled anything. I'm going to try very hard not to spoil, but just spoiler alert, because I might, something might slip, but I'm going to go into the particulars and the next thing I'm going to go into the particulars like I typically do. I'm also going to, um, you know, who starred in it, the ratings, what critics are saying, gross, what, what the, it, the, the film's budget, what it grossed up to this point how it's doing in the box office um and then just just talk about the overarching themes so if you don't want things to be spoiled you don't want to risk things being spoiled maybe find something else maybe go listen to out of africa the wichita kansas episode or the um monroe louisiana episode maybe that'll be uh do do you good um yeah all right, so in the next segment, it's all about the woman king. Okay, so before I begin, I do want to acknowledge something that I think I might have missed. The time that I'm recording this thing... Um, is the day before release. And so, a um, couple things. I don't think I acknowledge the fact that the transatlantic slave trade that the Dahomey participated in, um, to a degree, and it, 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 yeah, they, they participated in, um, also impacted, not only did it impact um, North America at specific points, 
but you will know that it also impacted the Caribbean, Central America, and South America. And the extent to which these places were impacted and who the descendants are today, I will leave that up to other people to talk about. There's certainly a lot of discourse about it right now um, on TikTok and actually just social media in general. So I'll leave other people to, to talk about that. Um, but I did, I don't want to, I didn't want to move any further in this conversation without acknowledging that. Um, there is a metric that I saw that said 5% of all the human cargo that was um, captured, all the humans that were captured and then distributed through the transatlantic slave um, trade, 5% of them, only 5% went to the United States. The vast majority, the vast majority in the 80s, in the 80 percent, uh, in the 80s, somewhere, I think, I think I saw 85, but don't quote me on that. But the vast majority of the families, individuals, somebody uncle, somebody cousin, somebody mama, somebody son, somebody daughter, somebody's ruler, somebody's, somebody's chief were um, sent to the Caribbean, the Caribbean, Central America, but the vast majority of them, according to some metrics and some estimates, were sent to South America. So do with that what you will. Again, that's a conversation for other people to, to have and to dissect. I did just want to acknowledge that before moving on. So now moving on, I do want to say... Um, so just to recap, The Woman King, directed by Gina Prince Blythewood, who directed Love and Basketball and, uh, what was it? Disappearing Acts, which I don't remember Disappearing Acts that much. I remember watching it. Both of them came out in 2000s or in 2000. I just, I remember it starring Isaiah Washington. I think it had starring Isaiah, it started Isaiah Washington. Was it Neil Long that was in there? I can't call. I can't remember. I remember it being widely... I remember the trailers more than anything. And I remember people really anticipating its release. And I don't think it made it to the theaters. I think it was directly a HBO production. But Love and Basketball, I definitely remember Love and Basketball. And I'm ashamed to, I'm ashamed to admit, while I think it was a beautiful film, I didn't like it because it was sappy. Oh, gosh. It was way too sappy for me, so. But I do acknowledge that it was a good film. Anyway, screenplay for The Woman King was, uh, so anyway, just all props to Gina Price Blythewood. Um, screenplay by Dana Stevens, story by Maria Bello and Dana Stevens, produced by Kathy Shulman, Viola Davis. Viola the Davis starred and produced um, this show and co-produced this show, this uh, movie. Um, Julius Tennant, Maria Bello, of course, Maria Bello is all over this thing. Starring Viola Davis, Thuzu Bedu, Lashana Lynch, Sheila Atom, and John Boyega. What else do I want to say? Um, it was released at the Toronto Film Festival on September 9th, but it was widely released um, in the United States on September 16th. The runtime is an hour and 35 minutes, so it's, it's a good, it's a nice film. It's a nice film. Um, good length. Um, it's distributed in English, although it's subtitled when, um, when characters are speaking in their mother tongue. Um, and the budget was 50 million 
And at the point of me recording this, the day before release day, um, the film had grossed 22.6 million, but that's 22.6 million in climbing. Um, and something just occurred to me as I'm about to go deeper into the cast. Um, the Brazil connection comes up in a big way, but we'll get back to it in a second. The South American connection through Brazil comes, um, comes together in a big way, but I'll get to that in a second. Viola Davis plays General Nasica. General Nasica has a, we meet General Nasica at the prime in, mm, she's still in the prime. She's still in the prime of her career. She's at the, at the pinnacle. She, it seems as if she's at the pinnacle and there's only one more rung that she could possibly go. But this particular rung, this particular level that she could ascend to is a place where that can only be bestowed on her by the king, which is unlikely or feels unlikely, but we'll get to that in a second. So, but we meet General Naseka as the baddie she is, um, leading a troop of fierce warriors who happen to be women, who also, and I don't want this to be missed, also fight alongside male warriors in their own right, but this story is focusing on the Dahomey women warriors. Thuzu Mbedu plays Nawi, who is a teenager when we meet her, who and a defiant one at that. Um, and at the point we, where we meet her, her father is trying to, excuse me, marry her off because it is tradition. Sheila Atu, uh, Atum plays Amenza, who is a confidant of General Naseka. And, and you get the sense that she came up with General Naseka in a lot of instances. She came, she came up with her. It's just General Naseka had a little something extra, a little extra fierceness to her that helped her ascend um, to the throne, or, or to the throne, to um, the, the title of, of general. But nevertheless, Sheila Atem is one of her trusted confidants and soldiers. John Boyega, that beautiful man, plays King Gezu, Gezo, who is um, a ruler that has come into power and you get the sense that he has stopped the practice of participating in this. This is where, remember I said in the intro that um, the chief or king, I cannot remember this person's title, but a recent, a recent um, leader of the Dahomey people, um, some big to do person, man in the, in the Dahomey, for, for the Dahomey people apologized for his people's participation in the land, transatlantic slave trade for as long as it did and for how devastating the impact of it was uh, and how they contributed to it. Um, and I think in his speech, and again, if I can find the link, I'll, I'll put it in the, in the show notes. Um, but there's an, it, it, something in his speech reminded me that not every king not every leader participated in the transatlantic or co- cooperated with the, the white people um, and the slavers, but many did. Many of the leaders, the Dahomey leaders did. And so John Gezo, King Gezo, is, we meet King Gezo as a sovereign. You ain't finna tell me what to do. You ain't finna tell me where to go. I ain't scared of nobody. I got the baddest, I got the baddest, um, 
uh, warriors are on my team. You're not finna mess with them. And you certainly ain't finna mess with me. That's the energy that he's giving off. Meanwhile, he is under, his kingdom is under threat by the uh, Oyo people who in this film are also purported to be part uh, uh, cooperators with the slavers. A, a tribe of an African tribe who is at war with, um, not at war, but they're not friendly with the, um, the Dahomey. Um, and in this film, in this adaptation, they're purported to be the biggest cooperators with the slavers. Um, and so King Gezo, um, at the point where we meet King Gezo, he's still feeling like that, that baddie in the room, but is also feeling the pain and the pressure of making good choices. You get the sense that he's not been on the, the throne long when we meet him and that he's trying to rule in a different way than his brother ruled. And his brother was a cooperator with the slavers. And I think there's an apologist moment in there where there's a moment where, you know, we recognize, and I think it's toward the end actually, where we recognize that, um, you know, maybe that's what he had to do, but we don't have to do this. King, King Gezo is like, we don't have to do this. We don't have to engage except to perhaps give our enemies like it, it, it or the Oyo. It, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent clear on that, but there's a moment in the, sh in the film where it's clear that King Gezo is, is contemplating how to cooperate with the slavers. Um, and, uh, general, um, Naniska, General Naniska is cautioning the king to not do that. And so there's a push and pull there. But the show does, does totally acknowledge, or the film does totally acknowledge in it. And that's the thing that I just, I just don't enjoy about these discourses, these, these knee-jerk reaction, super polarized positions that you poo-poo a film before you even get to it before you even watch it and you try to tell other people not to watch it. Meanwhile, you will literally go watch a film that you know to be garbage because people have leaked scenes from it and you still gonna go watch it anyway. This is, these are the things that don't bother me or these, thing, th these are the things that bother me, but anyway, but there is a conversation about it, but there is, there, there is a conversation about the Dahomey's participation in the transatlantic slave trade because you cannot focus on the Dahomey without acknowledging that. Here's the thing. Did they go far enough in the conversation? That's the question. We'll move on. Hero finds Tiff, Tiffin, plays Santo Ferreira, Feria, whatever, um, who is from Brazil. Um, and he is a slaver. He goes there and he's a young person. So he's like a late teenager in his late teen years. And he's trying to strike out on, on his own as a man and try to show his father that he's a man. Um, and he's going to get in the family business, which is participating in the transatlantic slave trade. So he, we meet, we meet um, Santo with the idea that he is going to purchase people to work on his plantation back in, um, back in South America. Um, Adrian Warren plays Odo. Odo is the bad guy. Odo is the bad guy. Hold on. Let me just verify Oh, no, no, no. Odo, my bad. Odo is another warrior. 
a warrior woman. Jamie Lawson plays Shante, which is another woman. Oh, she from Baltimore? Girl, she from Baltimore. Hey, I don't remember what she looked like, but go Jamie Lawson. Ow. Oh, no, never mind. She pretty. Um, yeah, Jamie Lawson, she played... She played in some stuff, so Google her. And it's J-A-Y-M-E. That's how you spell Jamie for her. Anyway, she's from Baltimore, so watch her and and support her stuff. Amen. Okay. Um, who I'm trying to get to old dude. Ah, hold on. If y'all have watched it, you know exactly who I'm trying to get to. Masali Baduza. I don't know her, but I'm pretty sure she's pretty. Um, Angelique Kijo. Why do I know that name? Because <gasps> she's a singer, but why do we know her? What did she do? Dang it. Dang it. Angelique Kijo was in this. Why did I not recognize her? Son of a gun. This is stupid. Now I need to go back and watch it. Things were happening too fast. Man. Now I don't even remember what she played. Son of a gun. Like, I know what she played, but I want to remember her in it. I'm going back to watch it. Anyway, she, Angelique Kijo, sucker. I can't believe I didn't, I missed her. Anyway, she played Miyunun, and maybe she sang. Oh, maybe there was a moment where she sang, because there was a moment in the film where they were singing. Dag. <sighs> if you don't know Ange- Angelique Kijo, you, you need to. She's a bomb singer, and she keep her hair short sometimes, and she be dying it blind, and she's cool. Um, yeah, she's real cool. Uh, she's a great singer. She's a talented singer. Um, Oba Ade, he, Jimmy Odukoya. Odukoya, he plays. Yeah, he's a bad guy. And he's a good bad guy. You ever met somebody whose face looked like you ain't on, you ain't about nothing? Like handsome? So here's the thing. You've met these people before. They are handsome. Do you hear me? Handsome. But they look like they ain't about nothing. They look like they ain't up to no good. They look like they're going to ruin your credit. Um, sleep with your best friend. Turn your mama against you on some lies. You know what I mean? Like, they just look like they ain't up to no good. And it has, they can't help it. And some of them probably lean into it a bit. Anyway, this, uh, this man, unfortunately, looks like he ain't about nothing. But he's pretty. Not pretty. He's handsome. Boy, is he handsome, but he looked like, he got that face that looked like, man, he probably got in trouble his whole life just because of his face. Because he looked like he about to do something you don't like. Anyway, um, but he plays Oba Ade, who is a leader, probably also the, akin to uh, General Nasika uh, <clears throat> um, for the Oyo. And he is a misogynist. And so are his, his warriors are all male and they, to be honest with you, they're kind of dressed. The way they dress reminds me of, um, yeah, their style of dress feels North, North African and kind of, um, um, Middle Eastern inspired, which makes me think if that's a nod to, uh, the Moors and their participation in the transatlantic slave trade. Again, this thing didn't happen in a vacuum. People of color had to cooperate in order to, in order for this thing to really thrive. You know what I mean? There had to be some cooperating factions. And so he represents one of the largest 
co- a cooperating faction, at least in this conversation, the Oyo. Um, and he's misogynistic and he and General Nasika have a past that I'll get to in a little bit of a moment. But anyway, um, Thando Glomo as Kello, Jordan Bolger as Malik. I'm trying to get to old dude. There's a guy that plays the love interest for, hold on. I just got to get to it. Actress, actress. There's a lot of South African um, actors and actresses in here. There's a person in here who plays. Did I not do what I was supposed to do? Let me go back. Let me go back because there's a person in here that plays a pretty. He's a pretty young man. Oh, Jordan Bolger as Malik. Malik is the love interest of Nawi. Um, Malik is our true, is another South American connection. We learn that Malik is, he, we see him as light-skinned and he got long hair and he's dressed just like Santo. And um, yeah, he's coming across like a slaver. Although when you meet him, you're like, man, you're not, you light-skinned. You are not white. You are light-skinned. And black people know. If you are in the diaspora, you know what we look like. Even when we're light-skinned, you know us when you see us because there's just certain things that are unmistakable. I don't know how it is taught in other aspects of the diaspora, but in the black community, we learn as children how to spot us, largely because I think it's a symptom of passing, to be honest with you. So many of us have passed, were passing for generations, that I think it was just something that everybody was taught. And so as a child, I knew how to spot somebody that was a part of the diaspora. And I, and I remember, I actually remember distinctly my mama saying, look at that nose. That's, that's a black nose. She wouldn't say black, but y'all know what she would say. Um, look at that hair. That ain't black hair. And again, she was not saying black. I love you, mama, but you remember what you were saying. I know she be listening sometimes, y'all. Anyway, um, you know, you did not say black hair. You said, look at that king. What did you say? Okay. Anyway, (laughs) but my point is still the same. Like, and she would always point it out because I'm like, you know, it's like a symptom because for us, from, from what I remember, I don't remember a ton of people passing just outright when I was growing up, but they would definitely not just claim black. Like they've been over backwards, even as they do today, to not claim just being black because just being black is somehow passe to some folks who so strongly cleave to their biracialness, not to a point of acknowledging their whole self, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the anti-blackness and acknowledging that you, the anti-blackness, the internal anti-blackness that you deal with that leads you to vehemently cling to the other aspects of your DNA. That's anti-black. It's not anti-black for you to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of the African diaspora, the Asian diaspora, and the European diaspora, and, and by naming the countries. That's not, that's not in itself anti-black, but when you're saying, oh, well, you know, 
yes, I have black, but I also have a ton of this, that, and a third. And, you know, I, you know, I, there's a way, and I'm not going to explain this any further, but y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not hard to, it's not hard to decipher when somebody's being anti-black and when they're acknowledging their whole self, when they're just acknowledging their whole self, they don't, they don't bend over backwards to let, to remind you that blackness is just a piece of them. And it's, and I'm glad it's just a piece of me. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, but Jordan Bolger's character, Malik, um, and it's interesting that his name is Malik, Malik, because that is a very, maybe because his mama named him, but we get to know Malik because a South American slaver impregnated his mother and what, how it happened in this context, because it was different in the United States and that probably at some points the Caribbean, but definitely the United States. We know that there was a certain point in the United States history that when a slaver impregnated an enslaved black woman and had a child that, that up until this, there was in the beginning, that that child was free by birth by by birth because his father was free and then the lawmakers decided well that's making too many of y'all free so this is what we're fixing to do we're going to make sure that when a child is born if their mother is enslaved they too remain enslaved so that we could, because we got so many of these babies running around and too many of y'all are free and a lot of y'all need to be on the farm or in my kitchen or holding my fan and making sure that I'm cool, making sure my, my drink is cool, keep the flies off me. Y'all need to be working for me. And so they passed these laws that it didn't matter if you had light skin, you were still working because you're not finna be free walking around here reminding me of my mistake. And then, uh, well, you can remind me of my mistake on my plantation but not out in the world. You're not finna, and, and again, they weren't looking at it as a mistake. They were looking at it as a right. You do with your property what you will. And so they just changed the laws accordingly. Um, but in this context, we, we are reminded that not every, not every country had the same laws, although everybody probably adopted an aspect of that going forward because what we know is that even in the Latinx diaspora, the Latin diaspora, the Latin Hispanic diaspora, there is a, well, maybe just the Latin diaspora. There is a, what I'm learning is that there is a saying um, called improving the race. And how you do that is you, if you are brown, you, if you are dark, you marry somebody lighter than you so that y'all can have light babies. And then you push your light baby to marry someone who's lighter than them so they can continue to have white babies and thereby improve the race. Everybody's seen that famous photo of the grandmother who's very brown-skinned, looking just as, as part of the African diaspora as she could. Then you see her daughter, who is light brown. And then you see her daughter holding a, light, a much lighter child at, with a white man looking onward. And the brown-skinned mother, who's now the grandmother, is her head is tilted toward the sky and her hands are up as if she's thanking God that her line is getting lighter. And that is a symptom of that thought process. But if you thought it was just a South American concept, you're wrong. 
because passing, (laughs) because passing happens. And again, while it's just, it's just done differently here in the United States, because we know, you know, we come from all shades and colors. Passing was purported though, to be a safety mechanism to be able to advance, um, to be able to make it. And some people pass to the white people and then would go back to the black people and cold chill and kick it because they were, they, you know, and it's so funny because when people saw, uh, what was that, uh, that film that recently came out that was an adaptation of, a oh my gosh, was it, pa- it literally called Passing. That, um, of course, the two actresses that played the, the light-skinned black women that were passing, of course, the, people know them to be black today or be a part of the diaspora today. And I think that's a 21st century, 22nd, are we in the 22nd century? 21st century, whatever. That's a 21st century view. Uh, that's 21st century thinking. If you never interacted with a community or you never looked at them or you ever looked at them as people, how would you know, how would you understand whether or not, how could you identify them? If you never truly spent any time with black people, how could you know how different we look and the hallmarks of the heritage? You wouldn't. And so when you're color struck, if you're only looking at the color, then it doesn't matter, which is, again, why so many of these folks who feel who, who are finding out that they are not lily of the liliest white are shocking to them. It's shocking to them, baby, because your people was passing. Duh. It's how well many of us made it. And that required a huge sacrifice that meant turning away from your entire family. Because if you were found out to be passing, there were huge consequences in the United States. Again, I don't know how this worked in South, if, it, if this played in South America the same way, but I know in the United States that part of the reason why I know how to spot a black person is because I was taught that and my mama was taught that and somebody taught her mama and my daddy the same. Actually, my daddy the exact same they, they, because they were taught it. Their people taught it to them and then somebody taught it to their people. Because it was just part of the thing. So anyway, I've gone off on a tangent again. But um, Malik is the is the son of a white man, a Portuguese. Well, I don't know if he's Portuguese. He's from South America. Um, why do I'm thinking? I automatically think um, Brazil. That he's from Brazil. Anyway, uh, his character is from Brazil. Anyway, um, yeah, he represents. He we meet him, and you could tell. His, his color, he, he's, he's not just tanner than Santo, he's black. He's, he's biracial. And anyway, we learned very quickly that his mother was, his mother was a Dahomey woman and his father was a, was a Brazilian or at least South American slaver. And he's got some freedom and now he's up here with his friend Santo um, he, he, he's here under the guise that he's never been to his homeland before. He strongly identifies, or at least he's, he wants to acknowledge that part of his heritage. And um, he, this is like a coming home for him. And Santa was like, well, you better, get, you better come on home because 
This is not, there's literally a point where Santo says you will never see this kingdom the way this way again, because again, he's trying to, Santo is trying to come into his slave ownership-ness, slaverness. Um, and yeah, so, so yeah, those are the main characters that I wanted to meet. And again, Malik meets, um, uh, uh, Nali and, Instantly, there's an attraction. Instantly, there's a pull. Again, Nawi is a rebellious. And so the reason why... Uh, how can I do this? All right, well, let me, t- let, me, let me take another break and recalibrate. And then I'm going to come back and tell you how these characters fit into the story. And then kind of go from there. I'm, again, I'm going to try to avoid spoilers, but I might not be able to. So stick, stick around. Okay, I'm back. So, um, so I already said that General Nasika is a woman with a past, but we meet her at the pinnacle of her career. Um, at the same time we meet her, we meet Nawi, who is kind of at a crossroads. No, not kind of. She's at a crossroads with her family. We meet her and she is... She's acknowledging that she's defiant, but she also knows that she needs to get on the good foot because her father wants her married off, even though she doesn't want to be married off. We meet her and that marriage, that proposal goes horribly wrong because the uh, would-be betrothed slaps her twice. Um, and I believe he slaps her twice and upon their first meeting. And so, of course, Nawi rejects that matching pairing immediately. And in doing so, her father has lost all hope on making sure that she comes to heal. And so what does he do? He marches her to um, King, um, King, King Gezo's palace and says, huh, here, take her. You going to be uh, a warrior now. Um, and see how much you like it. You think you slick? You think you you grown? Okay, bet. You finna go to the army, essentially, is what he did. Um, it's the equivalent of putting your child in um, military school, like what they used to do in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I don't know that they do that too much anymore. Um, but yeah, that was the equivalent of putting an unruly child into military school, is what uh, Nawi's father did to her. Um, we've learned very quickly that Nawi was adopted and why that's important is because Nawi has a connection to General Nasika, a deep connection to General Nasika, which actually pulls them together toward the end of the film. Um, something very terrible happened to uh, General Nasika at the hands of, uh, hold on, let me tell you who, because uh, I didn't forgot already, but that man, I told you that man, Oba Ade. That man who looked like he ain't ever been up to no good, um, but he fine though. You know what I mean? It's, it's troubling. It's, it's 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 a it's a it's a cold world, but it is what it is. Anyway, so Oba Ade has um, did something to General Nasika that um, the soldier Amenza helped cover up and those chickens come home to roost don't they don't they always come home to roost and we have to tend to them 
even when we don't want to, when we think those things that we did long ago never will never return, they, they often do. And when they do, they return in a bad way or a big way rather. So anyway, so we, there's a connection, an instant connection to Nasika and Nawi and Amenza holds the key. She doesn't know that she holds the key, but we find midway through the film that she holds the key. But I won't tell you what that is. You need to watch it. Meanwhile, as we see Nawi grow and change and come into a warrior, we recognize she wants to be a warrior. She wants, she wants this for herself. She gets in there, she gets gritty, she gets dirty, and she gets it done. And you see her doing what it takes to become a soldier, but it's the same old soldier story that we've heard of before. The, the person who uh, has an aptitude for soldiering and, 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 has an, and, and whose aptitude will lead them to leadership one day is also defiant. And one of the things we know about military service is you have to, be, you have to, you have to uh, conform to the unit. You're not a singular person. And so what we see in Nawi is her struggling to conform um, throughout the film, but she does so. But she does so on her own terms. And again, I'll wait for you to watch it to, to say more about that. But in, in, in she, she needs a coach. And so Lashana, Lashana Lynch's character, Izogi, um, is her coach. And Izogi, when I tell you again, there is a... Man, the thing I love about this thing the most is how you going to be fierce and bucking on, on folks and still beautiful, but in your fierceness. Because she's not in this, sh- in this show, she goes in this film, her and Viola specifically go out of their way to not be pretty, but they just are. I can't explain it any better than that. There is a, uh, there is a muscliness that they have and the lack of smiling except when they're taunting you is intimidating and could cause a lot of people to call you ugly just because you're intimidated. But they also have an appeal that is undeniable. And so Lashana Lynch's Izogi is a baddie. She's a baddie too. She's a baddie that you don't really get behind her. You don't know what drives her. What you know is that she's made a sacrifice. She's committed to this thing. What we know about these leaders is that uh, these, these warrior women is that they made a choice. They made a choice to um, not take a husband, not have children. And in doing so, sometimes that choice, it can't be easy to stick to that choice. Do you know what I mean? It can't be easy to... Um, to confront that choice every day, I, li- I liken it to people who have chosen um, to live a life, a spiritual life, and not take a partner, whether it be monks, whether it be friars, depending on your uh, denomination of the Christian church, you know. But certainly, Tibetan monks, they take a vow, and, and nuns even take vows 
to not take a take a uh, be in a relationship to not have children. And these warriors have done that, too. And you get the sense that, you know, they they find family in their troop in the the company of soldiers that they have. That's where they find their family. And so Izogi, in a lot of ways, kind of reminds you that in small, subtle ways, as she's training up, as she's mentoring, Nawi. Um, there's another note to mention here that uh, Adrian Warren plays Ode. Ode is from another tribe who is not friendly to the uh, Dahomey, but has been captured, had been captured by the um, Oyo and then freed in a military raid led by uh, General Nasika. And then she's been given a choice to join the Dahomey women uh, military leaders. And so she, she, she gets that choice, she does. Um, and what else do I want to say? There's a point in the film where a sh- two shocking truths are uncovered. That the, the, the true relationship between Nasika and Nawe is revealed. Um, three, actually. The true relationship between General Nasika and, and Nawe is revealed. Um, Santo has planned to come and leave with human cargo. Um, and Malik has to make a decision whether or not he's going to be a slaver or not, um, because again, he's grown a relationship with Nawi. And King Gezo has to make a decision. He's got to name someone who's going to co-lead this kingdom with him. It has not been done in a million years. And it certainly wasn't even considered before when he took over from his brother. But he's got a choice to make. Is he going to take a wife? And that why and in taking another wife, because he already has several wives, and 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 promoting one of his wives up to be his co-ruler, or is he going to choose someone else? Like, is he going to choose a woman king? Or is he going to just be the sole leader himself? And this is a big decision. And I will give you this one. No, nope, I won't give you that spoiler because it's like. This is called the woman king for a reason. So I will give you this piece of a spoiler. King Gezo makes his choice. King Gezo makes a choice, but you don't know who it's going to be. Um, And here's the other thing that you need to know. Shanti is, uh, Jamie Lawson plays Shanti. And Jamie, you from Baltimore. Anyway, um, Shanti is one of King Gezo's wives and she's cunning. And she does not have a great relationship with General Nasika. And that plays out in in some small ways um, that you see later. Um, What else do I want to say? There's an unrealistic... I will be truthful and say that there's an unrealistic point in this film where... While we know... I, I will say this. There is a battle that happens between the Ngozi, or excuse me, the, uh, the Dahomey and the slavers. And the Dahomey end up victorious. What we know is in history, this is true with the Toussaint L'Overture and the Haitian revolt against um, the slavers. We had Nat, Nat Turner 
and his revolt. Um, I can't think of another one, but we have real life examples of generals or people who rise to the level that you would consider them to be a general leading revolts against slavers um, and succeeding. Well, that Turner didn't exactly succeed, but anyway, but you get the point. We have records of people revolting Amistad. We have records of enslaved people revolting and getting their get back and getting free. And so I'm not saying that this is not realistic because certainly I bet you there were battles where somebody got their family member back at the coast right before they were shipped off. I'm sure that happened, but it also didn't happen more than it did. And so of course it needed to be in a film because it's an action film and we needed that because you can't talk about this subject and just leave us hanging. The reality is there are many thousands gone Many thousands gone, captured, sold away as property. You cannot put rose-colored glasses on this. Many thousands gone. That's a, and I'm saying it like that because that's a, that's how I remember being taught about it. There was, I think, it's a book, too. Um. Hold on. I'm not joking. I've heard of this before, and it's not just in my family. Many thousands gone. Oh, yeah, James Baldwin. I didn't realize it was a James Baldwin. It's a song. Oh, this is a book. No wonder they kept quoting it. Oh, now I'm going to get it. Anyway, many thousands gone, the first two centuries of slavery in North America. Um, Baldwin is using it as a represent, as to, to describe the North American, the slave trade's impact on North America. But you cannot ignore, again, the tens of thousands of people who were ripped from their communities ripped with their communities from their continent, from their homeland, from their community, from their, from their, their land of birth, from their town of birth and sold away. Some of whom didn't make the journey. Some of whom didn't make the, the trek on foot trek to Gory Island was, is it Gory? Um, it was many ports, um, ports in Africa. Oh, Wida, Wida, everybody is, I think that one of the, mm, Wida is one of the famous. Lagos is another one. Anejo, Little Pupu, Little Popo, Grand Popo, Agoe, Jaquin, Porto Novo, and Badagri. But I remember Wida. I remember being told Wida. Um... Anyway, um, or I remember learning about Wida first, and I don't remember these other names as as port cities um, for slave um, for the transatlantic slave trade. Um, but yeah, we can't we can't just sidestep this conversation. This is a triumphant story. 
Go, uh, King and King Gozi and and General Nasika have a very hard moment toward the end, but there's another side to that hard moment that they have, and there's a conversation that has that shows two shows leaders grappling with whether or not to participate and 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 whether or not to participate in the slave trade, knowing knowing that these is relentless knowing that it's going to continue to impact this com- their communities but to what degree will we limit the impact will we will we sacrifice someone else's tribe and their people in order to save mine that is a conversation that's being had in this film it's not being had extremely well but it's being had and we know that that was to be true like l- any what do we know about the native american experience what do we know about indigenous americans the treachery of power the treachery of wealth means that you can tempt somebody with it. And that person in being tempted with it can justify participating in something atrocious to get it. To get it. Again, I won't speak for indigenous peoples because there's a whole conversation, especially in North America, because there's a whole conversation of what the what the leaders of certain tribes believed they were doing versus reality. And the the feelings that still exist today about the consequences of those actions, those who hid and stayed or and survived. and, And I don't mean to say hid like you. You were cowards, but like you evaded what the American government was doing. And those who didn't and the many thousands gone on the trail of tears, like the history of this world is full of people in power based largely in color, but also in status and wealth, making people who didn't have it suffer and in suffering Many of those people died. Many lineages snuffed out forever. Can't ignore that. And so, again, this, they have this conversation in the movie clumsily, but they have it. And there's a lot that, you, that this movie assumes you already know. And we come in and it expects you to come in with this movie learning a little piece of something you didn't know to color the conversation about this horrible thing that you know that is the transatlantic slave trade and how we got there. One of the things that as a, a black person, of uh, 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 an American of African descent, who's many generations deep in this continent, on this, in this country, One of the things that I can't do, but that somebody can kind of guess at me and do is to tell me what tribe my people come from. You can look at facial features and bone structure for the most part and kind of guess, like I would guess that my daddy's side of the family was from the Sudan area, Congo. I would guess that. I would guess that my mama's side of the family are from, um, uh, further north, probably in the the Ghana, probably Ghana. Um, uh, 
who knows, maybe a little bit further north. But then again, the only reason why I'm saying a little bit further north is because they're lighter skin of their lighter skin complexion. But why are they lighter in skin complexion? Because of our European ancestry. Where did it come from? I don't exactly know. What I know is that my great grand, my grandfather was considered biracial and his grand, his mother was considered biracial as well. So I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it came voluntarily or not. So I don't exactly know. It's a little murkier on my mama's side of the family than it is on my daddy's side. But if I had to guess, even on my daddy's side of the family, they have Ashkenazi Jewish in the family. And so I want to know where we, you know, that's a, that's a pain of mine. I would love to say like a, a huge part of my DNA comes from Nigeria. But you can't just stop it saying you're in Nigeria. What I know, I went to school, I went to college with a bunch of kids from Nigeria, some of whom were Igbo, some of whom were, um, what's the other, uh, uh, not, uh, most of them were from the <laughs> um, Nigerian tribes. There was another one though. There were two tribes that were Yoruba. Igbo and Yoruba. But I don't know if I ran into Hosa or Edo people or of the top or Fulani. I, well, actually, I know I ran into Fulani. I did. Okay, fair. So when I went to school, I did, I did run into Fulani, um, people from, uh, that, that identified as uh, Fulani. Um, but there's 19. Hold on. How many of this? One, two, three. Wait. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. There are 23 tribes that come from or hail from Nigeria. And so the best that I can do is say that I got lineage in Nigeria. And I can tell you where, what parts of my parents' DNA it came from. And both of my parents have Nigeria in their DNA. But I can't tell you what tribe. And that hurts. And I and when, every time we get into these diaspora wars, I think that people, even on both sides of the argument, continental Africans and uh, Africans uh, away from home, dia- and, uh, when we have this these arguments, one of the things that you fail that we all fail to miss is that many of the Black Americans that you meet. We've been taught just love being black American because that's all we know. And it's a culture unto itself because we literally don't know any more than that because of the ravages of the transatlantic slave trade. And so when we get into these arguments where you feel that a black person, a black American person is not respectful of the culture of, of a, uh, an African from the continent who's, who literally could go home to their cousin today if they could. The reason there's a reason for that ignorance and disrespect there. And it's it's largely out of not knowing where else we come from, because we don't know. We don't know. It was taken from us. That opportunity, that opportunity was taken from us. And then the other side of it is you've got you've got folks coming from African countries coming over to the United States, being sold a pipe dream and, and getting here and being treated no better. It, it, not it, it, 
Not that they should be treated any better, but it, it's there's a there's a lot of pitting us against each other that I wish would not wouldn't exist because there's so many things, so many nuances to this thing. And so I go back and I say, I think it was beautiful. One of the most beautiful things. And this was just natural. Me and my sorority sister, we went to watch this thing. She was, my, uh, she was uh, inducted with me. We watched this inducted into my sorority with me. Um, there's a reason why I'm using this particular language. And if you're Greek, you know why. Uh, if you are financial in Greek, you know why. Um, I sat next to a woman that I believe they were from, they were Sudanese. A woman in her boo, in her boo that was Sudanese. And we were cheering at the same things because at the end of the day, we were just watching a film. This, this movie theater was mostly black people. It was mostly the diaspora was in the place. There were some non-diaspora folks in the place, but it was mostly diaspora. But when I'm saying diaspora, I'm literally talking about folks born and raised in the United States and folks who were born and raised um, in an African country. And we were in the same row watching the film, just chilling and relaxing. Again, laughing at the same things, being sad at the same things, cheering the whole, the theater was chilling. We was all talking. It was great. Um, if you do not like talking in the theater, this was not a day for you. But anyway, we enjoyed, and I don't want to say that to be weird. I just want to say it to say, man, I wish we could I long for the day and I strive for the opportunities to just fellowship more with folks from the diaspora because going it, man, we got a lot to talk about. A lot of healing to do if we would just all allow it. And I'm talking about the Caribbean. I'm talking about South America. We could just all just come on together, come into the room. We come in all shades. Let's just put down the anti-blackness. Let's uh, the, put down the anti-blackness because, again, we all got it. The diaspora is full. We're not the only diaspora that has anti-themness because that's the nature of colonialism, baby. That's a byproduct of colonialism and powerlessness. And anyway, for a moment, this film gives you some hope, but you cannot ignore That for every rosy outcome, and this wasn't rosy, this wasn't clean, but this outcome was atypical. The outcome that we come that we get in this film is atypical. I want you to watch it. I want you to enjoy it. But don't forget. Do not forget that this is atypical. And that we need more stories of the atypical to remind us that there were many ways to get to this thing and to just fill it out. But just remember that it, you know, I don't know. I'm talking in circles, but anyway, this made me emotional for many different reasons. One of the reasons is because no matter how hard in this story, these Dahomey women tried, what do we know that that kingdom as we knew it ended in 1905 as portrayed in this film, it ended in 1905. Why? King Leopold and other people who ravaged the Congo for rubber. 
So anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. I'm starting to get mad. But anyway, enjoy this story because it's good. Don't poo-poo on it. Is it a perfect film? It's not. Is it a story that needed to be added to the collection? Yeah, it is. It's well acted. I will tell you this, the storyline between Malik and Nawi, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. I understood that there was, I'm sure that that happened. There was an aspect of that that happened in real life. I didn't want it in the film. I know why it needed to be in the film because there needed to be this push and pull intention. I didn't want it there, but I understood it. Plus they look cute together, but that's not the point. I, I just think drugged, drudged up so many emotions for me, but if nothing else, it just reminded me that I don't know the tribe that I come from and I would love to know it. Um, and that also, I gotta, gotta, one of these days in the next decade, if Lord allows in the next decade, I want to bring, take my people to Accra. I want to take the immediate family to Accra. I want to go to the door and I want to cry at the door. And you know what I'm talking about. I also want to read Many Thousands Gone. Because I think I remember reading it when I was younger, but I don't remember what it was about. So I got to read this thing and y'all should read it too. Anyway, all right, I've talked long enough. Watch the film. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. Talk about its shortcomings, but celebrate the addition to the story. The chapter in the book of us in terms of media and cinema about us and about the family. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Um, There's a lot of media. Abbott Elementary is back, switching gears. So I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it next week. It's back. Um, I heard that they were adding... Uh, what's old dude's name? Leslie Odom. I, I heard that Leslie Odom's Q self was in the show now. I can't wait to talk about it next week. Um, I just love that show. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Anyway. All right. But next week, yeah, next week's Abbott Elementary. But in the meantime, enjoy your day. Do that thing you've been meaning to do or take a break because you deserve it. You know what I'm saying? Be kind to yourself. Drink more water, sleep better. Please take care of yourself. Take your booster shots, take everything because you had to take it to get into school. So why are we faking the funk now? Come on, let us not play games. Do do what you need to do to protect you and your you and your people. All right? All right. Thank you so much again for listening. Thank you for rating and reviewing this thing. Favorable reviews of four or five stars whatever you want to do. Um, if you don't have a favorable review, just keep it to yourself and move on to another show. All right. Thank you so much. Until next time, take care.